Good morning. How you guys doing? Good, good. How's 2024? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, today we are starting a new series. I mean, actually, a lot of you probably know that at The Fold, we are an independently functioning campus of Bowling Springs First Baptist Church. Um, so we're doing something with all of the locations of Bowling Springs First Baptist. The thing that we share in common that links us all is what's written on the wall in the lobby. Find home, find family, find purpose. We believe that we are a community that's called by God to pursue the healing and wholeness of Jesus by finding home, family, and purpose. So we're going to spend the next really few months doing a deep dive into what it means to find home. Who are we as a community finding home, family, and purpose? So we're going to start off in a few weeks in what it means to find home, then what it means to find family, and then what it means to find purpose in Jesus. So we're going to start off today, we're starting this series that we're going to be in for quite a while. We're starting off today by asking, what does it mean to find home? And it means that we are a praying people. So we're going to turn to a passage that we have turned to many times at the fold and that we will turn to many, many times again. It's Matthew chapter 6. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up there. It's also going to be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you so you can follow along. Matthew chapter 6. This passage of scripture we turn to often because it operates almost like a compass for those of us who follow Jesus. It helps us determine what our true north is as the followers of Christ. So, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start reading in verse 5. It says this, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Oop, lost my place. Oh, it doesn't seem... We'll reward you. Ah, there it is. And then, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your presence. Thank you that we can sing your truth, that we can hear your truth. And now, as we come to your word, I ask that anything that's from me, any of my ideas, that they would be noticed so they can be rejected. But if there's anything said that's faithful to you, consistent with your word, then let it echo in our hearts that we might become like you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So I want to take a poll uh, by show of hands. So raise your hand if you would say, um, I have plenty of time to do everything that needs to be done. I've got all the time in the world. In fact, I'm bored and I need more things to do. No one. That's what I thought. Uh, How about this one? Um, 
Raise your hand if you would say, I have got plenty of patience for all of the people in my life. I've got extra patience. I've got more than I need. Anybody else? Same number. Interesting. Um, You know, I thought about uh, starting this off by asking if you have, or do you have enough time? Do you have extra time if you're over the age of 16? But I was listening to a podcast, to an interview this week with a theologian and author named Kelly Capick, who wrote a book called We're Only Human. In this book, he talked about the average life of a high schooler in America. And he said, if you're a high schooler, you wake up at 7.30, or you go to school at 7.30, and then you're in class with things expected of you all day until like 3.30, and then there's a good chance that you leave school, and you go to work, or you go to an extracurricular activity, like bands, or like robotics, or like a sport, something like that, until 6, 6.30, 7 o'clock, and then you go home with just enough time to eat dinner before you have to finish your homework so that you can go to bed by 10.30 or 11, and then wake up and start all over. And then he said this, which I thought was profound. We as a culture are catechizing, we're discipling. That's what that word means. We are discipling our children to not see their limits. We are discipling our children in busyness. We are going all the time. And most of us treat the things that we can't do like weakness. I want to tell you something this morning, and this is not mind-blowing. This is not a revelation. But this might be the first time you've heard it as good news. You have limits. You have limits. You are not infinite. There are things that you can't do. There are things that you could never do. And forgive me for being the bearer of bad news, there is potential that you have that you will never reach. Maybe you've been told since you were a kid that if you don't live up to your potential, then what, what a disappointment. There's potential you have that it's impossible for you to live up to. There are things that you need to do that you do not have time to do. There are things that need your influence that you do not have control over. If you look at your life and you look for things that need you, that expect you, that ask for you, you will never find any time for anything. You have limits. There are Things that you cannot do. There are dreams that will go unaccomplished. Now, I realize that sounds like bad news. But that sounds like bad news because we live in a world that values individuals by accomplishment and by productivity. Now, what we read this morning, this passage, this might be the most, besides John 3.16, the most commonly quoted and referenced passage in all of Scripture, and it falls within what's called the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 through 7. Matthew's chapter 5 through 7. And this 
sermon that Jesus gives, which is probably kind of a summary of what he would teach in every town that he goes to, the sermon that he gives is probably, besides the death and resurrection of Jesus, the most influential teaching in all of scripture. This has been quoted by everybody. It's been quoted by presidents. It's been quoted by pastors. It was quoted by Bob Marley. It was quoted by Gandhi. It's been quoted by everybody. In fact, Gandhi actually wasn't a believer, but he read the Sermon on the Mount twice a day. Um, I don't know any Christians that read the Sermon on the Mount twice a day, but Gandhi did it. This is one of the most influential teachings in human history. And the thing about a deep and profound story-based teaching given by the greatest teacher that is Jesus is that it's got layers. So you'll come to the Sermon on the Mount having read it a hundred times, but you'll be in a different stage of life and you'll notice something different. You'll have a different set of emotions and something else will speak differently to you. That's why Jesus taught so consistently in stories. And that's the beauty and the brilliance of the Sermon on the Mount is that it's given to us containing timeless truth, but truth that affects us differently throughout different stages of life. It's got layers to it. Now here's one of the layers that exists in this passage that we just read. Jesus gives two examples of how not to pray. In the first example, he says, do not be like the hypocrites who love to pray in public, who love to pray in the synagogue or on the street corner. Do not be like them, because they want to be seen, and if they're seen, then they've received their reward. And then he says to go into your prayer closet. We don't really know exactly what prayer closet means. That could mean a literal physical place in your house. It could have also been referencing a prayer shawl that would be commonly worn, where people would wear a shawl that they would put over their head, and then they would pray within that shawl as a way of being private and not public in their prayer. There's actually a uh, fairly famous uh, Christian woman from Christian history, Susanna Wesley. She was well known for praying in her apron. She had, if I remember right, 12 kids, which is a lot. And uh, she obviously didn't have any time or any privacy raising 12 kids. Um, So she would often go, she would grab her apron that she wore all the time and put it over her head. And that was her prayer closet. And her kids knew in her house that when mommy had her apron over her head, that mommy was praying and she wasn't going to be bothered. So she had her prayer closet. So we don't really know exactly what this means, but we know that Jesus is instructing us to pray in private, to not pray publicly, to not pray for some sort of reward. And then he goes on and he says, do not pray like the pagans who babble on with their many words, thinking that their words will get them something, that their words will earn them something from God. And he teaches us a different way to pray. Now, this layer that we should see in this teaching is that each of these negative examples of prayer use prayer to extend our limits. They use prayer as a tool to get something outside of prayer itself. And the first one, we pray to gain reputation. In the second one, we try to do something within our prayer to make the prayer in itself more effective. It's a way of going to prayer and exerting control over the prayer. It's a way of using prayer to hack our lives instead of submitting our lives to the Lord in 
prayer. Now, this is what I want to tell you this morning. Once again, this is simple. This is not mind-blowing. We pray because we have limits. We are a praying people because we are a limited people. We are a praying people because there are things we can't do. And as we pray, we confront our limits. And rather than trying to supersede or expand our limits, we submit our limits to the one who does not have them. We pray because we are limited. Prayer is the act of being okay with our limitedness. Kelly Capick, the theologian that I referenced earlier, also said in that interview that as created beings, one of the defining characteristics of a created being is that we are finite. We are limited by the day because there's dark in which we can't see, and we're limited by our bodies because we get tired if we work too much, and we're limited by our bodies because if we don't put food in them, then they stop working. We face consistent limits all the time. Why? Because by definition, we are created beings. We had limits before sin entered the world. Did you know that? In a perfect world in which humanity walked with God in perfect union, you would be limited. You wouldn't be able to do everything. There'd be things you couldn't accomplish. Because by definition, a created being is a limited being. And when we go to the Lord, we go to the Lord saying, there is something I can't do. And if it's something I can't do, then it's probably something I don't have to do. When I pray, I confess that I am limited. You know, I think if, uh, if Jesus were to give this, and I'm really hypothesizing here because you shouldn't project what Jesus might say if he were alive in the world today, but I'm going to do it anyway. If Jesus were preaching this sermon today, I think he might say, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who pray prayers that they don't need help answering. Who pray prayers like, make me a little bit more generous this year. Or, help me be nicer. Who pray prayers like, help me give my best at work. Pray prayers that we that don't confront our limits. Because prayer is the confrontation of our limits. When we pray, we confront what we cannot do and we surrender it to the Lord. We come to the Lord acknowledging that I cannot accomplish everything I would like to accomplish. I cannot change my own heart. I can't control my kids. I can't create outcomes in life. And I have to confess that and trust that the Lord can. And that the Lord does. So in prayer, I acquiesce, I surrender to the fact that I am a created being. I am a limited being. Yes, prayer is about intimacy. Yes, prayer is effective. Prayer changes things. God answers prayer. But at the baseline of all of it, when I come to the Lord in prayer, I come confessing that I am out of control and that I am a creature who is dependent on God. I have limits. Prayer flows directly against our culture today that says transcend your limits. And prayer says embrace your limits because you were created with limits and entrust your limits to the Lord. Prayer restores the created order in our hearts because it reaffirms that we are limited creatures. And that's how Jesus teaches us how to pray. Because the first thing he says is pray like this, our Father in heaven, which is an affirmation of a relationship of dependency, of dependency in which you cannot do it on your own. He tells us to come to the Lord like children who are dependent on a father. 
And then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which is an affirmation that there is a kingdom that I can't control that I need here because I can't make it happen on my own. And it's an affirmation that there is a will beyond mine that I have to submit to because I can't see everything that needs to be done. Your kingdom, your will. The first two lines of the prayer are an affirmation of my own limits because even if I had unlimited power, I would not have the ability to see the unlimited future and know what I actually need. Prayer confronts our limits. And then he teaches us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, in a world where we can go to the store and buy more bread when we need it, that might not seem like a limit, but this was given in a world where behind the house would have been a wheat field and across the street would have been a mill. And you would have been able to see very clearly that rain led to bread and rain was out of your control. It's a confrontation of limits. God, I can't even control whether it will rain and I'll get to eat. I am limited. And I surrender in my limitedness to you. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses because I, in my limitation, have fallen short and inevitably will fall short. And I cannot live in a reconciled right relationship with God and with the people around me without forgiveness because I am limited and I have fallen short. Forgive us our debts, our trespasses, as we forgive our debtors, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. Because when I lead myself, I don't know about you guys, when I lead myself, I tend to lead myself right up to the line of sin. Maybe that's just me. I lead myself right up to the line. Sin's right there. I'm not going to step over it. Lead me away from temptation. Because Lord, when I lead myself, I lead myself in the wrong direction. I lead myself straight towards temptation, convincing myself again that I won't have to ask for forgiveness. But I already confessed that I need forgiveness. So now lead me away from the temptation I consistently walk towards. And deliver us from evil. Because we live in a world in which we have not and cannot overcome the evil one. So Lord, deliver us from evil. Prayer is at its baseline a confession of our limits. It's an honest confession of who we are as created people. And listen, I am not telling you that prayer is a cop-out, that prayer means I can't change anything, so I won't try, or that prayer means there's too much injustice in the world, so I won't do anything about it. What I'm saying is that prayer acknowledges that I cannot effect the change on my own, so I first go to the Lord who can effect change. When I look at the world around me, I acknowledge my limitation so that I can see the change that needs to happen, but not bear the weight of that change upon myself. Because, friends, you can't bear the weight of the change that needs to happen in the world. 
you can't, that's, Jesus came and died to do that. It's a basic affirmation of Christianity. You look at the world around you and you see injustice and you see war and you see kids getting pulled out of rubble and you see starvation. You cannot bear the weight of what needs to be changed, but you can pray. Did you hear me? You can pray. And prayer is not saying, I won't do anything about it. Prayer is saying, I can't fix it. Prayer is saying, I'm going to do everything I can, but I'm going to rest in my limitation, trusting that God can make up the difference. Prayer is the acknowledgement of my limitation. Prayer is not apathy. Prayer is not an excuse to not do anything. Prayer is the affirmation that I don't take the responsibility upon myself. I look with honesty at the world around me, and I look at with honesty about myself. And because of the gap that I see, I allow that gap to push me to the Lord in prayer instead of away from the world in isolation. I don't pray to manipulate God to give me something. I don't pray to make myself look more spiritual. I pray because there is a world full of needs and I have a life full of needs and I can't meet those needs on my own. So I pray. Christians are praying people because we are limited people. I can't remember who said this, but a Christian leader recently said Christians need to be a non-anxious presence in the world. Can I confess something to you? I am not often a non-anxious presence. I'm not. But it's because I don't like my limitations. It's because I spend a lot of time worrying about what I can't do and what I can't accomplish and what I can't change. Just a few verses later, God says, who of you by worrying, Jesus says, who of you by worrying can add a day to your life? But he teaches us before to confess our limitations in prayer. To let our limitations point us to the unlimited one. Not in apathy, but in honesty. Because prayer is the work of followers of Jesus because we confess our limitations to the Lord. You do not have to carry the weight of the world because you can go to the Lord in prayer. Some of you may be... Uh, you're hearing this, and this does not resonate deeply with you yet. Because maybe you have not yet faced something in life that shook your deep sense of control. You have not faced your limits. But we will all eventually realize that we, we can't control our kids. We can't control our spouse. We can't control what people do to us. We can't control our physical bodies. We can do our best. But even then we find that we are out of control. We are limited. So we, before, rather than reacting to the pain, though God loves it when we go to him with pain, before the issue arises, we choose to embrace our limitation. Knowing that I might not be able to control what happens this evening. So I ask the Lord for my daily bread this morning. I might not be able to control what comes next week. So I ask him to lead me away from temptation today. We are praying people. We are praying people. There was a German pastor with a really cool name. Uh, Helmut Thielich. 
was his name. It's going to be up on the screen. I, I actually don't know how to say that. I think it's Helmut Thielich. I don't know. Um, he was a pastor in Germany during uh, the German reign of terror. And he preached a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. And when he began the sermon series, they were meeting in a church building. And when the sermon series ended, they were meeting in a home because their church building had been leveled. And they went to the Lord's Prayer seeking comfort. And this is what he had to say. The Lord's Prayer was able to contain it all. There was not a single question we could not have brought to it. And not one question that was not suddenly transformed if it were put in the form of a prayer. Now listen, if you're looking for control in your life, then that's going to seem like a cop-out. But if you understand your limitations, then you understand that in the mystery of what you can't control, you choose to trust the Lord. And in going to the Lord, you cast your cares upon him. There was another Christian writer and theologian and author, Julian of Norwick. She had a near-death encounter in which she saw the Lord. And in this vision that she had in this near-death encounter, one of the things she saw was she was confronted with the sin of the world around her and, and the sin of humanity and all of the injustice in the world. And she heard Jesus say this to her in her vision. And it's become a prayer that she prayed and the Christians have prayed and an affirmation the Christians have held for centuries since then. After she looked at the sin in the world around us and felt the weight of it, she heard from Jesus these words, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. That's a prayer that embraces your limits because it's a prayer that looks at your life that is not well. You remember, she actually lived through the Black Plague in England. And she was young. She was on her deathbed when she had this vision. And she says that she was confronting the sin and the pain of the world around her. And she saw her limits. So her prayer became, Lord, in you, all shall be well. And all shall be well. And all manner of things shall be well. We are a praying people who go to the Lord with our limits, who confront the world around us and our own lives and hearts with honesty, embracing the things we cannot change, but taking them to the Lord, knowing that the Lord can change them. Not necessarily knowing that the Lord will change them, it's worth saying that, but knowing that the Lord can. We are people who pray because we are limited people, and that means we are a praying people. And this is what happens when you find home in Jesus, is you know that you can go to Jesus and you can say, Our Father... Your kingdom come, your will be done. I can't do it. I can't handle it. I can't control it. I can't change it. But you can. Prayer is embracing our limitations. Prayer is looking at the needs of the world and desperately wanting and committing to do something about it without taking the responsibility of it upon ourselves being responsible for what we can change, but fully trusting the Lord with what we can't because we always find that what we can't is greater than what we can. I don't know about you, I grew up in the world changer generation where we were told since we were kids, you can change the world. You, you can change the world, you do it. If you believe in it and you dream, you can achieve reading rainbow, whatever. Like you can, you can change the world. And here's the thing, you can't. 
I don't mean that as a bummer. What I mean that is the Lord can, and we in surrender to him embracing our limitations can see the world changed, but I can't. Do you see what I mean? I cannot look at the world around me and say, I'll fix it. I can look at the world around me and say, I will do exactly what you've called me to do, and then I will embrace the boundary where it lies. Because I don't have to be responsible for changing the whole world. Why? Because I pray. Because I'm a praying person. Followers of Jesus are praying people because we are limited people. So the invitation rests on us today. First with a question. And that is, are you willing to embrace your limitations? Are you willing to look at your life and see all of the things that you can't do? And rather than heaping shame and guilt on yourself because you can't do it, are you willing to be honest about it and embrace your limitations? Are you willing to lay in bed at night and say, I didn't do everything I needed to be do- that needed to be done today, but the day is over and I can't fix it anyway? Are you willing to embrace your limitations? Are you embracing your limitations? Or are you constantly putting an infinite expectation on yourself that you were never made to meet? Are you putting an expectation on yourself that says you don't need rest and you don't need a Sabbath and you don't need a nap and you don't need a break and you don't need forgiveness and you don't need therapy and you don't need any of it? Are you putting that expectation on yourself? Because you're a created being. Before you ever sinned, you needed a Sabbath and a nap. And the second question is, are you going to then go to the Lord in prayer? Sometimes I think uh, we millennials need to start doing what our grandparents did, and we need to get back to a prayer list. We need to start writing out a list of everything that needs to be prayed for so we can read our limits and send them to the Lord. We can say, here's something I can't do. Here's something I can't do. Here's something I can't do. I don't know what to say to this. I don't know what to do about that. I don't know how to be present to this person in their pain. I don't know what to do. I'll pray for them. Funny thing happens when you pray is oftentimes the Holy Spirit stirs in you what you can actually do. When you start with prayer, embracing your limits, knowing you can't fix it on your own. And maybe today you are full of anxiety. And you need to do what I've been done. I've been struggling with anxiety over the last few weeks. And I've found myself going to the Lord saying, all will be well, and all will be well, and all manner of things will be well. I don't know how, but it will be well. I can't fix it, but it will be well. Do you need to take the words of Julian of Norwick as your words in prayer? Do you need to wake up in the morning and pray the Lord's Prayer to center yourself in your own limitations and your dependency on God? Do you need to decide that 2024 is the year of being honest with God? Where just as you're driving to work, you don't turn on a podcast or a song, but you just say, God, here's how I feel today. And you acknowledge your limitations because in your honesty, you will realize you did not live up to your expectations of yourself. And you will tell the Lord that. If we are to be, you know, as a church, home, family, and purpose are written on the wall. 
We believe that this is who God's called us to be. We've been saying for years that we believe that God has uniquely positioned the fold to be a community that's reaching millennials and Gen Z because we've all got friends and we've got family members and people we know that have walked away and deconstructed and they're not interested in the church and we believe God has done something that's unique here. And we look out and we see a room full of a lot of millennials and Gen Z and we see God's doing it. But here's the thing. There is a lot. I know a lot of people who have deconstructed and walked away that aren't here. And I don't know what to do about it. There's a mission that God's given us that's beyond our limitation. So 2024 needs to be the year that we as a church embrace our limits and pray. Pray for our neighbors and friends and family members and kids and cousins that have walked away. And pray that God will will empower us and bring people here, but also empower us to send and go and be the community God's called us to be, reaching the people that is beyond our limitation to reach. You know, when you pray for that person that you know they are not going to decide to follow Jesus. I mean, you know it. When you pray for that person, you know you're embracing your limits and trusting the Holy Spirit in their heart because the only person that wants that person saved more than you is the Holy Spirit. In prayer, we embrace our limits because we are limited people. And because we are limited people, we are praying people. Maybe this year, maybe today, you have not been sure about Jesus. You don't know if you're a follower of Christ. You don't know if you believe in any of this, but you have finally confronted your limitations in life and you realize you can't do it and you can't fix it. And I want you to know that even if you have never believed Jesus was even real before today, that you can cast your cares on him today. That he will meet you right here and right now. You can embrace your limitation and invite the Holy Spirit to bring forgiveness and mercy in your life, he will meet you right where you're at. Are you embracing your limits? And then are you responding in prayer? Let us be a praying people. Jesus, there are a thousand things in my life that I do not know what to do about. I don't know how to fix I can think of a lot of situations that I don't have words for. And I don't even have an idea of where to begin. But God, I know that you are beyond my limits and beyond my imagination. That you comfort people I can't. That you are convicting people I can't speak to. That you are, you are sanctifying my heart in the things that I can't change. Jesus, teach me to embrace the limits that I have and to not be afraid of them. Teach me to go to you with my limits. When I find that I can't do something, Jesus, give me the joy of turning what I can't do over to you. Teach me to be a praying person because I am a limited person. Make us a praying people because we are a limited people, but you are limitless. Teach us to cast our cares on you and we'll do our best.